everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. It's Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and that means that we are live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. Football Outsiders actually has something going Monday through Friday at 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time every day of the week. Some combination of me, Derek Klassen, Mike Tanier, Aaron Schatz, a lot of the big hitters. So definitely check all of us out and check us out on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network and YouTube after the fact. But seeing as it's Friday, we're ready to preview the, the games for fantasy this weekend. And I've got a great guest, our friend John Dangle from NBC Sports Edge. John, great to have you back on the show. What's been going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's the regular season's rolling right now. I'll say that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're still getting into the routine slowly since it is the longest <laughs> season ever, as we know. Yeah. But it, it's been much easier catching up now that we actually have data to back our opinions. Um, we're still trying to figure some teams out. We're still not sure the Falcons are even good. Uh, what is the Titans offense and are they going to run play action more? But as we move along here, that actually makes for good decision making and our DFS process. The one thing we know for sure is that my three and O Carolina Panthers are for real. Don't tell me otherwise. Don't want to. <laughs> don't look at the days. opponents. Don't look we, at the schedule. <laughs> definitely don't look at the schedule. Don't look at the end of the schedule when the Panthers play Tampa Bay twice yeah. at the Saints and at the Bills because we're we'll definitely do fine when we get there. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> uh, but the key for today is since again we've got all these games coming up Sunday, we're going to go one by one, preview all of them, hit on one big narrative storyline for each game, and then talk a little bit of DFS. And let's get that ball rolling with the first game on Sunday at 1 p.m. between Washington and Buffalo. This game is in Buffalo and an interesting game also because there may be some weather-related issues here. The 57 degrees, not a big deal, uh, but 56% chance of rain and 13-mile-per-hour winds with gusts up to 24 miles per hour. Haven't really talked about this yet this year, John, because there hasn't really been major weather-related issues so far. But do you think that these sort of, I guess, moderate weather conditions with things like light rain with modest wind speeds, do those sort of things affect your fantasy decisions at all? If it is more than moderate, I usually don't allow weather to affect my decisions too harshly, but I will say we know Josh Allen has historically yeah. struggled in the wind, and that makes sense. Uh, this year, even the league's fifth highest pass play rate and neutral game script for the Bills with the sixth most pass attempts on the year. And it's a double-edged sword in this spot since the way you attack Washington is through their secondary. Justin Herbert went over 330 mm-hmm. in week one, and as we saw Daniel Jones, a Nice 69% completion rate on Thursday. But the one blemish for Buffalo's offense thus far has been Allen under pressure. And he's been under pressure at the league's seventh highest rate, falling apart for a 35% completion rate and just four yards per attempt under duress. And Washington has actually averaged the fourth highest blitz rate and seventh highest pressure rate in the league. And so it is a matter of will Mm -hmm. they throw more? Will Dayball intelligently scheme quick outs just to get the ball out of Allen's hands to get this thing rolling since he has really been a letdown through two games. Having said that, given the letdown and that we still know he has that weak winning upside in DFS, of course he's a tremendous play because he's the one who's going to combat some of the highest rostered quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, the list goes on and on in this slate, and he can do so if it all comes together. Yeah, it's interesting because Allen actually has averaged 2.6 more fantasy points per game on the road than at home in his career, which is a really unusual split. But I think it makes sense when you start thinking about the fact that he plays in Buffalo, where they tend to get more severe weather, especially later in the year. And I think the, 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 the moderate to maybe severe weather could be an issue here. To me, it's less the precipitation, although heavy rain does increase fumble rate by more than 100%, which, you know, obviously, um, we don't know if it's going to actually be heavy or, or be raining at all. But the winds, I think, are a little bit more, 
you know, an issue for someone like Allen specifically, or really any quarterback, um, heavy wins decrease pass plays by 1% and increase run plays by 4% while teams try to set, kind of avoid that issue, but they also decrease completion percentage by 1% and yards per target by 3% for quarterbacks. So for me, like, you know, I'm not going to bench Allen anywhere. Maybe I'll avoid him in DFS, but like, it's the guys like Emmanuel Sanders that may be more the borderline potential starts. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that I'd rather steer clear of. And as you mentioned, I'm not as concerned about what Washington has done so far this season. I think their defense is strong and see them as a big cutter of passing yards and touchdowns. So yeah, Allen, yes, but the rest of the passing game, other than Diggs, I'm not so sure. And I don't think you have to get cute with Sanders, honestly, because like I said, this passing game is let down thus far. And so Diggs, Allen, Cole Beasley, I think they just all come in under rostered mm -hmm. in a spot where the Bills have to attack Washington through the air. There's no choice. So just watch the wind. If it got over 20 miles an hour, I think that's where I'd start worrying. But anything yeah. under, I don't think I, I'm going to be too frantic about it. I'm with you there too. Um, now, that being said, I think that if you're going to look at DFS in this game, it makes sense maybe to look toward the ground game. And my favorite option here is Antonio Gibson at 6,100 and FanDuel. I think he's $1,000 underpriced. I think this is probably a result of last week when near the end of the, the Washington game, I think it was actually last Thursday, uh, where J.D. McKissick came in and had a surprising goal line carry and scored. And I think everyone was like, oh, no, the timeshare is alive. But if you look at the broader snap share trends, I don't think that's true because Gibson played 46% of snaps last year versus 60% for McKissick. But this year it's a flip. It's 63% for Gibson, 40% for McKissick. And McKissick's uh, target share has dropped almost in half. So I think Gibson is a pretty safe RB1 and I'm not concerned about what I saw last week. Do you feel the, the same way? The only concern I have, and I'm monitoring it, I wouldn't even say I'm leaning in either direction right now, is that Per Establish the Runs, Pat Thorman Snaps and Pace article, a tremendous article everyone should read. He writes Love it every that. Wednesday. Um, J.D. McKissick, of course, we know is the no-huddle running back and in the two-minute drill. And yeah. this offense with Taylor Heineke was significantly faster and ran a significant more amount of no huddle and that's why McKissick that's why we saw his usage and overall target share increase from just one target in week one to six 13 percent in week two whereas we saw Antonio Gibson's decrease from 24 percent to four percent in week two and that's why he was on the field McKissick for that goal line carry because they were in a, a hurry up offense and so if they're going to run more of that then that logically puts McKissick on the field more and so again maybe that's not the case uh, it's something I'm certainly monitoring though yeah that's some great insight from both you and Pat. That's, that's really cool. All right, let's head over to our second game, Bears at, at Cleveland Browns. Again, 1 p.m. Sunday. This one's in Cleveland. Nicer weather, but 17-mile-per-hour wins again with gusts to 23. I would say over all the games that are taking place in kind of the Northeast range, all the way from Ohio through Pennsylvania up to the, to the Northeast, look for the wins this weekend as we get closer before you make your DFS decisions. But let's stick with the, some of the players and games itself for the storyline here. Um, where do you rank Justin Fields this week? And what do you expect of him like for your ranking in general, independent of the matchups, assuming that he's going to be the starter more often than not going forward? Well, I obviously had Sam Darnold ranked over Justin Fields because Darnold had a higher rushing floor. So. You, you just can't, you can't go away from the rushing upside of Sam yeah. Darnold. Uh, you can't fact. get away from it. So, yeah. but to be fair, uh, I really did have Darnold over Fields and I have Trevor Lawrence and Kirk Cousins. I think those are the other two I'm getting yelled at right now about over mm -hmm. Justin Fields. Cause I think you couldn't draw up a worse spot for his debut. This game features two teams that are running the ball at top six rates and neutral game scripts in the entire league. So we yeah. expect the pace to be sluggish and the volume of play 
plays to be low. Fields also, I don't think, is going to take Cleveland by surprise, given that they faced Lamar Jackson twice a year and just had to prepare for Tyrod Taylor, who did have 10 yards on eight carries. And we've seen this total dip dip two points all the way to 45. I believe it may be even 44 and a half in some spots as well. And so I just think it's a, uh, a bad spot. And if you told me to project a game that's going to run the fewest plays on the entire slate, this might actually be it. So overall, mm-hmm. I'm actually down. But if you can get fields, you should have him on your roster because we're going to be the Absolutely. complete opposite end of the spectrum when he <laughs> plays the Lions next week. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of steering away from what my specialty, I guess, would be. But I would wonder how much the scheme has to do with that, because with Lamar Jackson, even with Tyrod Taylor, both running the pistol and running a lot of zone read stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of their runs are more designed, whereas I think Fields is going to be a big drop back passer that then scrambles. And I wonder how much of a difference that's going to make for for the defenses involved. I mean, you know, it it may not be that big of a deal here with guys like Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. It's just like the Browns have a lot of kind of hybrid safety linebacker types that Mm -hmm. maybe they can chase Fields down. But I'm just so intrigued by the possible volume of carries, mostly from scrambles, I think it's really exciting. So Fields took 10 carries on just a 65% snap share in week two coming in for the injured Andy Dalton. But there were only six quarterbacks that had 10 or more carries twice last year, and five of the six finished as a QB1 in in fantasy points per start. Now, some of those guys were like Taysom Hill and Jalen Hurts that only started four or so games. But I think that just kind of shows you how important the rushing is for fantasy scoring. And so I'm not scared off by the fact that Fields is a rookie. And you know, maybe I'm a little bit scared off by the fact that it's a Browns matchup. I think I have Fields um, ranked 19th this week, down from 17th, what I consider his true talent ranking. But you're right that you need to pick him up in every fantasy format because this guy could be a top 10 quarterback this year. Fields rush rate. So the number of scrambles he has on his snaps is also higher than Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen's rates last year so far. So he yeah. is showing he wants to run, whereas we thought maybe that was concerned from the preseason. So at least there is that rushing floor against a defense, because this is how you make the bull case for Justin Fields this week mm-hmm. is that the Browns defense with all these new pieces, although they are an extremely elite unit on paper, they haven't really clicked so far. Um, and you can see that in their stats, just getting, pretty much mauled by the Texans offense until Taylor went out in that game. So that would be the case you make for Justin Fields. So even though I have Fields worse this week because of the matchup, I still see him as a good DFS play in FanDuel specifically, where he's just 6,500. I think that's $900 underpriced. So it's, it's relative to price and expectation things more than it is the positive matchup. That said, the Browns do increase passing yards and touchdowns by 5% and 21%, both top 15 in the league, although not top 10. So it's like, you know, not a terrible matchup. Um, I don't know how the wins are going to play into that, but maybe they'll actually increase the rushing production, which may help fields more from fantasy. I don't know. Like, would you be willing to start fields in your DFS lineups in his first start? Or is, or is that a little bit too risky for your tastes? Uh, cash games. If you play that, you may get there. I can mm-hmm. see that, but in tournaments, I believe just the hype, this always happens to the rookies because True. we all we all covet what we what we see. And so we haven't seen Justin Fields just yet. Thus, we are excited about this untapped ceiling that we don't know about mm-hmm. just yet. And that's why I always try to keep my expectations tempered. So if it comes in where he's going to be the highest roster quarterback in that range, I think I would rather go to, and we'll get here at some point in this show, Daniel Jones or Trevor Lawrence, because I oh, think yeah. their spots are significantly better. So I actually don't think I'm going to play Fields in tournaments at all. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on those guys too. But next up, we're going to jump to the Ravens at Lions game, 1 p.m. Sunday in Detroit in the Dome. So finally, no weather concerns here. Uh, but my major storyline, has TJ Hawkinson broken into your elite tight end tier? 
And to that point, I'll mention that his 20.4% target share is third highest among tight ends. Darren Waller at 28.3% is kind of running and hiding a little bit, but Travis Kelsey still very high, 23.4%. But then it's Hawkinson ahead of guys like George Kittle and Gronk, who, who might otherwise be in the mix. What are your thoughts on Hawkinson going forward? Hawkinson, of course, is going to be now what we expect a top five tight end. And that's because the lines are so bad and they're proving that Uh, if they were a good team, like Hawkinson and Swift probably would not be fantasy viable. Like you would have to question starting them every week. But since they're a bad team and they're getting all this garbage time uh, stats and counting counting numbers, then that's what makes them good. Uh, I believe eight of DeAndre Swift's 16 targets have come in two-minute drills this year. And that's just because they're always the Lions offense trying to catch up. But that's good for us because even though Jared Goff has been as advertised, 6.2 yards per attempt on 93 throws this year, the Ravens' defense thus far, and they've been banged up, but they're still banged up, they've been bad. Uh, It would have been a much different storyline had Clyde Herbs-Alaire not fumbled on that very last play. And then everyone could have stepped back and said, oh, like the Ravens still allowed Mahomes to throw for 11 and a half yards per attempt. And I understand it's Mahomes, but that was his highest average since 2018. And the Chiefs also garnered eight and a half yards per play on offense. And so even if this game is garbage time for the Lions, I genuinely expect them to put up a high amount of fantasy stats because I don't think the Ravens can stop them anyways. Yeah, it's interesting. So the Ravens, um, in my projections with the adjustments that combine sort of the preseason expectations with what's happened so far, the Ravens remain a like small cutter of tight end touchdown rate. But to me, that's more than counterbalanced by the fact that this game is at home in the dome where tight end yards per target increases by 5% and touchdowns per target increased by 3% just by being at home in a dome. It's just like, it's a really positive situation for a passing matchup. And again, if, if the game script kind of trends in the direction that you're suggesting and that maybe a common problem for the Lions this season. I mean, that's got to be great for Hawkinson's fantasy value. Mm -hmm. And I'll mention too that why I do have Hawkinson as kind of a third or fourth overall tight end right now. Part of this is about George Kittle, who like obviously is maybe the best tight end in the league in terms of total skill set. But since his breakout 2018 season, he's averaged just 3.9 expected touchdowns and 3.8 actual touchdowns per 100 targets. Third lowest of 52 tight ends with 100 or more targets is as far as I see it, he's just not a major part of the 49ers passing attack in the red zone. I think they'd rather do other things with him and have him blocking and such there, which he's a PPR monster, but like, I'm not sure he's the top three fantasy tight end that we thought he was because of the scoring. Unfortunately, because uh, as we know, the 49ers don't care about our fantasy concerns. <laughs> Whenever George Kittle is still mauling everyone in the blocking yeah. game, still literally one of the top three most impactful players. I would say with Quentin Nelson and Aaron Donald um, outside of fantasy, just just for whatever else he does on the field. So mm. I worry as well, but also you always come back to, and there's no way of quantifying this, but you always come back to George, just George Kittle being George Kittle, right? Yeah. And so I am trusting him for one more week, at least against this Packers defense, as we've seen cannot stop anyone has the only team that has registered just one sack on the entire year. And so, yeah, I'm still trusting George Kittle, but if Hawkinson finishes over Kittle, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, honestly. I wouldn't be. And, you know, as such, my DFS play of the week for this game, TJ Hawkinson at 5,200 in DraftKings. I think that's $900 underpriced. Um, part of that's the matchup, but I think mo- most of it is just that like his volume of targets is so high that I think he's going to be an exceptional tight end produ- producer this year. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the prices have quite caught up yet. Uh, my play is going to be 
DeAndre Swift and mm-hmm. in a run back with all the Raven stacks, uh, in particular Mark Andrews, because I think he's going to come in under roster compared to the okay. other tight ends on this slate. Swift also is a good hedge against Clyde Edwards-Alaire since we're going to get to his salary on DraftKings in particular in a second, which creates a, an entirely different strategy in the way you have to play your lineups this week. Okay, interesting. I'm gonna we'll dig into that in a moment, but let's jump to the Colts at, Tech, at Titans game next Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Tennessee, where it's going to be 72 and clear. Um, I mean, the major storylines are all going to relate to whether or not Carson Wentz can play. As we're recording this, there's still a chance that he might, but I think we're trending toward maybe he won't, and we'll have some combination of Brett Hundley and Jacob Eason out there. And, you know, you're not going to be starting any of those guys. I don't think you're going to be starting Wentz with two bad ankles in, in fantasy either. But, uh, John, do you think we should worry about the Colts quarterbacks with respect to Jonathan Taylor's fantasy potential? This is actually sort of what we expected coming into the year, knowing the Colts draft process, knowing what they did in free agency, it did really align for them to come in and underwhelm at first. And now they have all the industry uh, injuries. Mm -hmm. They had a couple of a cluster COVID moments as well. So really nothing's going wrong, but you look at Taylor's usage still to have 39 touches through two games and a league high eight carries inside the 10, including six of them coming from inside the five. And he hasn't scored a touchdown on any of them. You would think that regression is going to happen eventually. Now end season regression is much harder to spot and then be actionable with while identifying it, as opposed yeah. to off season regression. We can look at the red zone numbers and goal line numbers and say, okay, this player is just going to score more touchdowns, whatever. So it is tough. But in this situation, I don't know if it's spot for it, but I can actually, I was having some friends, like some professional DFS player conversations last night. And I do know that this would be the spot that makes sense if you, we start to have confidence in the Colts offense. Because given that Derrick Henry is now the only running back over 8K salary that you can trust, uh, given the the prices of Swift and CEH, and then also we may get Sony Michelle and Alexander Madison as well, uh, Jonathan Taylor is the one who's going to come in and no one's going to use him at all, despite these touches he's going to get. And so it makes him a really good leverage play given the usage. And then you just have to hope he scores a couple times. Yeah. I mean, I like him. He's actually my favorite DFS play of the game at 7,000 in FanDuel. I think that's mm-hmm. $700 underpriced. A little bit of that is the Titans matchup where they are an increaser of rushing yards and touchdowns by 3% and 38% per attempt. Um, but really this is more about what I think it means to have a less experienced and less talented quarterback for his running back versus some of his other skill players. So like inexperienced quarterbacks, they show greater declines in their completion percentages and yards per target versus veterans when throwing to wide receivers and tight ends more so than running backs. And, and to me, I think the throwing to running backs in this offense, that's really helped Jonathan Taylor get a lot of workload so far this season. I think that's a feature of the offense more than a feature of a specific player. I actually didn't think that originally because Phillip Rivers when he was a starter last year, 24.5% target share to running backs was fifth highest in the league, but Rivers always threw the ball at his running backs back in, in San Diego slash LA. That's just, that's who he was. And I thought that's what that was about. But Carson Wentz, who was really more of a downfield thrower with the Eagles last year, is suddenly throwing 26.4% of his targets to running backs this season, also top five in the league. So I think that's going to be the strategy, no matter who the quarterback is this game. And while it may not be pretty, I think that Taylor's going to benefit with a huge volume. And you're right. If it gets near the red zone, he'll be the guy that scores. And it's not only leverage off of Derrick Henry. That's why I I like the play. And a lot of times people put themselves like with players in DFS and they're like, well, I don't like his outlook. 
DFS is not even about like liking the player's outlook. It's like genuinely yeah. liking the player over your opponents. You're literally just trying to beat your opponents. That's it, which brings a totally different strategy into mind. Uh, Taylor, in this case, is also leverage over the Titans defense, who everyone's going to play since they know they have a backup quarterback. And so it is, and we know the Titans defense is not good. So maybe yeah. Taylor is just good enough and gets the same amount of touches where he can single-handedly defeat the Titans defense. So it is a very good tournament mm-hmm. play. Love that. Love the game theory of that for sure. Okay, we're going to hit the Chargers and Chiefs next. But before we do, let me mention that, again, this is the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show every Tuesday and Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on twitch.tv slash Outsiders. You guys hop in there and watch us live so you can ask us questions live in the chat. We'll be happy to answer them. We're also Monday through Friday with some combination of me, Mike Tanier, Aaron Schatz, all the guys doing all kinds of Football Outsiders content. All right, John, let's jump to that Chargers and Chiefs game that you were talking about earlier. This is 1 p.m. in Kansas City. There's actually a little bit of wind potential here, too. 14 mile per hour sustained gust of 20. Maybe not quite as bad in Buffalo. But uh, to me, I I really want to ask you about Justin Herbert, a player that I was really bullish on coming into the season. Has your opinion of Herbert changed after the first two games? And if so, is it is it you know, are you more bullish or more pessimistic about his outlook in fantasy this year? Well, my opinion on Herbert coming into the season is that he was going to be too good for fantasy. Like he was (laughs) going to be so much better on the field that it wasn't going to amount to more fantasy production. And so far that's been right. He's had over 330 yards in his first two games, uh, but has let down. But also the charges have let down as a whole because they have only totaled 37 points through week two Mm -hmm. uh, because they have the second worst scoring percentage inside the red zone. But now here comes the Chiefs who have allowed the league high and scoring centers inside the red zone eight for eight against opponents and also are the only defense to have, have allowed over seven yards per play in both games this year. So given that the Chargers are one of only two offense, that bad Falcons team we talked about earlier being the other to run at least 70 plays in both of their opening games, I do think Herbert and the Chargers are finally, finally in for an absolute smash spot this week. He's he's genuinely my favorite quarterback. I'd love to see that for sure. Now, I will say the lack of touchdown scoring, I think maybe throwing people off the Herbert scent right now, because Mm -hmm. if you just look at his like more sustainable, like completion rate yards per attempt metrics and stuff, he looks better than he even did last year, which was like an historically good rookie season. He was at 66.6% completion last year, 7.3 yards per attempt. He's up to 70.5% and 7.7 yards per attempt so far this season. Um, If he had those for the full season, uh, his completion rate would be tied for second last year with Drew Brees. He would be top 10 in yards per attempt. Again, he's done for 337 and 338 yards the first two games. Plenty of yardage. It's just the two total touchdowns that are the problem. But consider, too, that he had two touchdowns called back for for penalties, offensive penalties last week, and he didn't replace them. Like, you would expect in those type of circumstances in the future with, with better red zone fortune, I'll say, that he's going to score more in those circumstances. So I actually do think Herbert – is having a really good year despite the lack of production. He has dropped from sixth to eighth in my true talent quarterback rankings, but that's not about any change in expectation for him. That's about Tom Brady and Jalen Hurts being better than I expected and jumping him. But I'm very bullish on Herbert from fantasy this season. Although you're better in real life than fantasy idea, that is compelling. That's something that I'm going to consider going forward. Well, yeah, and so far it's working. But also, again, we expect this offense to be one of the most efficient as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, once the points start bouncing back, that opinion is probably not going to look good because, you know, Justin Herbert's not going away. Even in having not delivered fantasy points, he's the QB 25 on the year right now. I mean, he still looks so good when you watch him. And their play calling so far uh, against the Cowboys, which, too many flags by the way we are on we are watching that ref that refing crew i know who it is Mm -hmm. um and then also week one when they called an amazing 
playbook against Washington, just couldn't put the points on the board. So overall, still a great offense to see. So I really want to hear your thoughts on Clyde Edwards-Alaire since you brought him up earlier. And I have tentatively called him my favorite DFS value play of the game. He's just $4,800 in DraftKings. That's really inexpensive for a running back. He's got a top 10 carry share, 64.3%, a decent 8.8% target share. But he's only taken one of three carries for the team inside the 10-yard line with Daryl Williams and Patrick Mahomes each getting one as well. So fantasy players are frustrated by the lack of touchdowns. But what, do you, what are your broader thoughts about Edwards-Alaire? And he's actually, he's actually seen 75% of the Chiefs' backfield targets, but if you step out and provide the context, that's three of four. They're just not passing to running backs because that's yeah. not what Patrick Mahomes does. But CEH is only one of eight backs in the league who has handled 80% of his team backfield touches. And arguably, the bull case you make for him is that they have nowhere else to go. Daryl Williams had negative two rushing yards on Sunday. Jarrett McKinnon held up for one game, literally one game as a starter, and then got burnt out and they had to put him just on special teams for 10 to 15 snaps a game with the Niners last year. And so... And redraft leagues, he's still a top 15, albeit fringe top 15, back for me for the rest of the season. And just the fact that we know he's still recovering from his ankle sprain. He's now five weeks removed from it. And actually, it takes usually, per the Twitter doctors I trust, five weeks to get healthy again. And so we're monitoring that, as well as, like I said earlier, they're just they're not going to go to Daryl Williams as a full-time player. Mm-hmm. So I'm still high on Edwards Lair, but the game theory behind this is that on DraftKings, for instance, he is 4,800, the same price as Jeremy McNichols. It's actually offensive to his family. This man (laughs) has parents and they are upset (laughs) about this. So everyone's going to play him given that salary. Everyone. I would just suggest that everyone between CEH and Derrick Henry, they are in the 1 p.m. slate and they're going to be the highest roster quarterbacks for the reasons I've mentioned for both. Thus, don't play both of them play yeah. one of them and pivot because you can take advantage, let's say of Henry's salary in the flex and late swap him. If Edward Slayer does not hit because you have a chalky player doesn't hit thus that's when you need to get contrarian and you can take Henry's 8,600 salary there and split it between two players go like Gronk in the tight end and Van Jefferson in your flex as a skinny stack for mm-hmm. an afternoon game. Or if you pass on Michelle and go Henry or pass on Edwards Alaire and go Henry. That's okay too, because then you can pivot to Sony Michelle or Alexander Madison. Uh, we have to wait and see the statuses of Daryl Henderson, and Dalvin cook. So there are a lot of ways to go here. Thus use late swap to your advantage for high scoring afternoon games, like the Rams and bucks and Viking Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Love all those thoughts for Edwards Hilaire specifically. I'll mention that I'm sort of hanging my hat on the fact that although he had just four touchdowns last season, he had 5.9 expected touchdowns. And that 1.9 touchdown shortfall was the fourth highest disposition. I think a lot of people would counter and say, well, Edwards Lair just can't punch it in near the goal line. But I mean, Mike Clay's research and my research on this both show that that tends to be something that regresses for players. No one really has the skill to score near the goal line. Now, coaches may not agree, but, you know, to that point, Edwards Lair, 2.2 yards after contact per attempt last year was middle of the pack. It was fine. I just don't believe that he's not going to score with those type of opportunities in in the future. So as long as Andy Reid keeps giving him the rock, I'm not going to be scared away from him in fantasy. And honestly, it was a spot I came in initially before looking at the prices saying, I want to play Edwards Lair this week. That's a good, it's a good spot for him. And then I saw the salary. It was like, well, now (laughs) we have to actually have to think more and be an adult now. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. We got the Saints at the Patriots next, Sunday, 1 p.m. in New England, 71 and clear. Not as many win concerns in this game, but keep an eye on that. Uh, John, which Saints do you think are typical fantasy starts, and does the Patriots matchup compel you to bench any this week? I'm asking this mostly because the Saints have been really weird this year 
where they've had extreme game scripts in both directions, which have limited Jameis Winston to just 20 and 22 pass attempts in two games. I'm not sure we know what this offense is right now, so I just kind of want to reset with you. We have no idea. You mentioned no win concerns. I have no win concerns given the Saints offense because that's the way they are <laughs> yeah. absolutely headed right now. Having run, like you said, the fewest amount of having had the fewest amount of pass attempts also run just 104 plays through two weeks, which is disaster. Uh, yeah. They have turned Jameis Winston into a pumpkin. He's no longer fun to even watch. Has just four attempts, 20 plus yards downfield as Sean Payton has taken this offense and made it slow and conservative. And that clearly through two weeks is not how they're going to score. That's, this is not the way it can be run. It's even tanking Alvin Kamara's value, who's hanging on for dear life as a low-end RB2 right now. And so I expect them to either speed up eventually, and I don't even know if it's this game, or put Taysom Hill in the lineup as we saw Taysom Hill get more run in week two. But right now, I would just say, I don't even think I'm playing him. But I'm not dropping, for instance, Marquez Callaway in fantasy since we have seen he's run 47 routes on James Winston's 51 dropbacks mm-hmm. as the team's number one wide receiver glued to the field. I know it's resulted in just three catches for 22 yards, but he's out there. And so yeah. I am still trusting his talent once this offense figures it out, if they figure it out, to eventually break through. I don't think I'm quite as doom and gloom as you because I just think the first two weeks were like weird, not so much as like a clear indication of what the saints are going to be. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the Packers kept turning the ball over and giving them short fields. And so Winston would score immediately. And that's just going to, it's not going to result in a lot of offensive plays. Right. And I'm kind of more toward the camp that the Panthers defense might be really good. So like not as weird to me that they maybe struggled last week. So to kind of put that in perspective, I then have Winston as my 15th quarterback in true talent. So somebody that's maybe not a shallow league start, but maybe in his best matchups would be, but because of the the matchup this week in new England, he drops to 23rd and I wouldn't be starting him. But I I will point out that Drew Brees last year averaged 15.1 fantasy points per game. That was outside the top 20 at the position. So it's like as good as the Saints offense is from a real world perspective. I'm not really sure, like kind of what you were saying with Sean Payton and the conservatism, this may not be the fantasy friendly offense we thought it might be when Winston, you know, in his Bucks days was, was turning the ball over a lot, but also getting a ton of yards and touchdowns. I would say my doom and gloom goes back to last year. That's why I'm a little concerned because in mm-hmm. Drew Brees list games, they ran their offense at a bottom four pace and neutral game script. Whereas with Brees under center, they ran at a top nine rate. So far this year through two games, they're literally 31st overall in pace and neutral game script. So I'm just, I'm just, and it's still a very small sample, even the sample of them being within one score of opposing teams. So I'm still just a little worried though, that without breeze, like Sean Payton is genuinely not trusting his intuition. Uh, we recall Teddy Bridgewater a couple of year ago, years ago, getting by and it was intelligent play calling all the way through, but they were still slow. And Teddy Bridgewater is, as we know, yeah. extremely accurate within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So it's an easy offense to call. Whereas that's not Jameis Winston. So that's why I'm a little bit more worried than everyone else. I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that's probably going to, going to uh, give me a preview of what your response to this will be. But I like have my DFS play of the game, Adam Troutman, who's $2,900 in DraftKings. Uh, as a uh, perspective here, Juwan Johnson is $400 more expensive there. And while Johnson scored the two touchdowns in week one, Troutman has outsnapped him in both games and has had the same number of targets for the season six. But I'm guessing you're kind of running away from all of these Saints, right? Uh, I think Kamara is the only one I'd really trust because mm-hmm. when we talk about Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook now being out of the picture, Kamara is the one who's left over 8K salary. And so 
he's probably going to come in un- under rostered since even this total, I believe it's only 41 and a half for a 2021 NFL game. Like it's abysmal. So uh, no one's going to use him. And we know he only needs, you know, 15 to 20 touches. He's just fine no matter what. So yeah. that that's the only reason it just be contrarian, but I don't think I'll even get on Kamara to be honest. Absolutely fair. All right, let's move on. Then we got the Atlanta Falcons at the New York giants still 1 PM Sunday. This one's in New York, 71 degrees and clear. Uh, what do you think about Kyle Pitts at this point? What is your true talent ranking on him? And like, has that changed based on what's happened in the first two games for him when he's averaged, you know, a modest 4.5 catches for 52 yards, hasn't yet scored, but faced some good defenses in the Eagles and Bucks. We're still trusting him. We yeah. saw after week one, everyone had mentioned TG Hawkinson, Tyler Higby, even James O'Shaughnessy, Kyle Pitts, guys who are running routes on over 80% of their team's dropbacks. And for tight ends, that's genuinely all we look for. I don't even care about targets. Like if you tell me a tight end's out there, I tell you he has a chance to be the tight end four on the season because the position is so abysmal. And everyone tries to sort late round guys every year that just never hit. It doesn't matter at all. And so uh, I don't worry about Pitts whatsoever, especially because – We know, and this is something we knew before the season, this Falcons defense is abysmal. Do we expect them to be 40 points per game abysmal? Probably not, but they are clearly talent deficient. Thus, they have no choice but to keep throwing. So we are still trusting Pitts in this offense the entire way. And what we also like for this game, I also don't expect this trend to continue, but Patrick Graham, Giants DC, has just been lost this year. Uh, I don't know what it is schematically for this defense, but to allow 600 yards, four touchdowns, and a 75% completion rate to... Taylor Heineke and Teddy Bridgewater that's like that's offensive to what he did last year considering the Giants didn't allow 30 plus points from week six on only twice allowed altogether last season and so maybe they come together and form an elite unit as they were last year but right now they aren't that and so Calvin Ridley Kyle Pitts I'm actually trusting them full confidence this week I mean, shots fired at Taylor Heineke. I, I don't know what that's about. The, the <laughs> he's like, a hair on fire quarterback. And I like those quarterbacks who are kind of lost. He's he's like early ride Fitzpatrick, honestly. <laughs> the, the ongoing joke at Football Outsiders is that Heineke's had an above average passing DVOA in his three NFL starts. So, I mean, yeah. trending towards Hall of Fame as far as and, I can tell. I don't know what fair, you're talking about. He, of all the playoffs, he was the best against the Bucks defense throughout their entire playoff run. Yep. Again, Hall of Famer coming, yep. coming up. Uh, but like back to the Pitts point, I'm with you. Um, you said that the, the targets don't matter, but the targets are good too. 17.3% target share, seventh highest among tight ends. So I think this has been a lot of bad luck. I think if he had been able to score a touchdown, that would probably ease a lot of people's concerns. And he does have 0.3 expected touchdowns so far this season. And you expect that number to continue if the Falcons have a little bit better chance moving the ball against the Giants and other future teams because again, the Eagles, they're 15th and the, the Bucks are fifth in defensive DVOA last season. I think the Eagles are probably better than that this year. They're definitely healthier than that, knock on wood for the team. Um, but from a DFS perspective, you know, call me crazy, but I'm still riding Mike Davis, who's, who's down at 5,700 mm-hmm. in FanDuel. I think that's dramatically underpriced, $1,200. And uh, speaking of a guy that hasn't really scored a lot so far, um, I think he has zero touchdowns, but has 1.1 expected touchdowns. And he's getting a lot of that work near the goal line. It's not just Corderell Patterson down there either. But to me, I'm, just, I'm looking at the carry share and target share. 52.2% is top 20 among running backs. 16% target share is top six. I just think there's too much workload here for this not to work out for you in fantasy. Am, am I you know, getting a little carried away here, or do you still believe in Davis too? No, 62 routes to Cordero Patterson's 27 on the entire year as well, uh, especially given the hype of Cordero Patterson this week. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the week to game theory Mike Davis into your lineups because it's such a great spot. And – 
my DFS play is what I mentioned earlier. If everyone's going to come in and roster Justin Fields, like Daniel Jones is in the significantly better spot. We already mentioned how poor the Falcons defense has been, mm-hmm. but Jason Garrett for the Giants is is trying. Like it's still not going well, but he's trying league average and play action and also scheming Daniel Jones. These aren't just, if you look behind the scenes at football outsiders, pro football focus, these aren't just scrambles that yeah. that Daniel Jones averaged a career high seven and a half runs for. Like these are designed runs. Um, even his goal line carry this past week was an RPO inside the five yard line. So like Garrett's doing some things to unleash Daniel Jones. And in this spot in DFS, if he runs for a hundred yards, which is very possible, actually uh he he trumps all the other cheap quarterbacks trevor lawrence included so uh mike davis daniel jones and then you go with sterling Shepard or kenny galladay especially because we know saquon barkley is going to come in heavily rostered like that's your little contrarian stack right there and pivots off of the high rostered options you know daniel jones through week two has the second highest uh carry percentage of any quarterback behind just lamar jackson uh, I may need to update those numbers with Sam Darnold going, going bananas on Thursday, but <laughs> let's say that's probably safe to say. I joke about this a lot, but like there was a next gen stat last year that Daniel Jones hit the highest top speed for a quarterback on a run mm-hmm. um, over Lamar Jackson as well. I mean, it's funny, but you know, he actually is a pretty good runner. Like I, I think that that's something that's going to be driving his fantasy value. If he can kind of keep the pace with what he's doing so far, even we, if the uh, passing game doesn't turn the corner. We need to work on his vision in the red zone and we need to <laughs> glue the ball to his hand. Other than that, he is a, a fun athlete. Absolutely. All right. Next up, Cincinnati Bengals at Pittsburgh Steelers, Sunday, 1 p.m. in Pittsburgh, 62 degrees and clear. John, are you worried about Najee Harris and kind of the lack of support around him? That's both from a poor run blocking perspective and just the limitations of the passing game, which hasn't looked good so far with the new offensive coordinator and with Ben Roethlisberger. I would not say I'm worried. I think it's sort of what we expected, right? Just the fact that you knew you're going to get a touch base running back and Najee Harris played every snap, but three of them so far through two games in that backfield, but also he's averaged just half a yard per attempt before contact, meaning Mm -hmm. he gets the ball and then gets smashed behind the line of scrimmage (laughs) because they're not holding up their end of the bargain. They can't run block. They can't pass block. And so I wouldn't say I'm worried given that you drafted him for the touches. And so you're going to continue starting him for the touches, But the issue is that we also see Ben Rothsberger struggling vehemently right now, both under pressure and throwing deep. Uh, Just two of eight right now on passes 20 plus yards downfield. So overall, like if he also has a subpar, well below average quarterback under center with a poor offensive line, like it's, it's very concerning, even as a touched based running back. But right now you still have to continue starting him in your fantasy lineups. Yeah, I mean, I think you think things are probably going to get a little bit better because, again, the 2.67 adjusted line yards, which is the Football Outsiders run blocking metric, is really bad. It's currently 30th in the league, but over a full season, that would be far and away the worst. And, you know, you replaced guys like David DeCastro, a two-time All-Pro player, Marquise Pouncey, two-time All-Pro, Alejandro Villanueva, Matt Filer, with a lot of unproven starters and a lot of guys drafted in the third or fourth round or later, like Chuck Sokorafor. Kevin Dotson and, and Kendrick Green, they'll probably get better with experience, but like, you know, if they get a lot better, are they going to get back to last year's last place, 3.78 adjusted line yards run blocking? Like the, right. the floor, I mean, I guess the ceiling may not be that high. And so like, maybe you'll, you'll move uh, Harris up from 3.2 yards per carry to 4.0, but like, I'm not sure he's ever going to become an efficient back, but it's also hard to argue with what you're saying about playing basically every offensive snap being top five and carry share at the position. He's catching the ball to get him out too. So like the volume is going to be so high. I just can't imagine him not being at worst of running back too, right? 
Yeah, and the only yeah redraft leagues, yes, but for this week, I guess I'm scared because probably no Deontay Johnson, and then we know Rossberger's dealing with that yep. pec injury as well. So we genuinely just don't know what to expect from the Steelers' offense as a whole. So I I think the pivot would honestly be the Bengals' defense in DFS. That's going to be my play, especially because mm, like everyone's that. going to go to the Titans knowing that the Colts are probably playing injured Wentz or a backup quarterback. And since we know that defenses are extremely volatile weekly, no matter what we pin their matchup as, Bengals are going to go significantly overlooked. And they're the same price point. So I just pivot to the other option that's going overshadowed. Yeah, I mean, I like that better than my play. So <laughs> I should, <laughs> What's I your should play? steal that. But I will, I will bring up, and also since you brought up Deontay Johnson, who injured his knee last week and is mispracticed the last couple of days as of recording on Friday. Not, not clear if he's going to play or not, mm-hmm. but I'm leaning towards maybe not. I actually already had Chase Claypool as a good value at 5,800 and FanDuel, and that'll get better if he gets kind of promoted by the lack of other options around them. But I don't really have a lot to base Claypool's, you know, my bullish stock on him this week on what's happened so far this season because his 19.4% target share is 47th among wide receivers. He has just 0.3 expected touchdowns when last year he was a touchdown scoring machine. But to me, this is just kind of a talent play. I expect him to play better, to get better looks for this offense to move a little bit better going forward. And so if, if Deontay Johnson's going to be out as well, I'm willing to kind of push my, my chips in on Claypool this week, even if it hasn't looked good so far. Makes total sense. Okay. Before we jump to the next game, well, again, I'll mention that we're live on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Check us out there. Check us out after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Also check out Football Outsiders Plus on footballoutsiders.com, a very inexpensive way to get really cool stuff like the fantasy projections I do every week um, and all of the, the Football Outsiders player research tools that let you run Really interesting splits on advanced stats like yards after contact per attempt over various time frames. Check all of that out. All right, next up, we have the Cardinals at the Jacksonville Jaguars, 1 p.m. Eastern in Jacksonville, 76 degrees and clear. John, has Kyler Murray become the number one fantasy quarterback for you? And is that going to apply most weeks, no matter the situation? So I heard Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Pod call the Cardinals the best flag football team in the NFL, <laughs> and uh, it's very true. They're just yeah. so much fun to watch. Having said that, I don't think we know what the Cardinals are in any unit uh, since they've only played the Titans and Jaguars or Titans and Vikings uh, so Vikings, far. Yeah, yeah, uh, two defenses we don't respect at all. Um, and so, like, I just don't know what they are just yet. It's not surprising that Murray is the QB one so far. But if it became Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, it would not be shocking either. We need to see the Cardinals play an opponent. Thing is, Jaguars are not a real opponent. So we can keep going back to (laughs) Kyler Murray and his weapons. We know now that DeAndre Hopkins did not practice this week. He's actually a game-time decision. And so it makes for some interesting spin around this offense, even though Hopkins is fresh off his lowest target share since week nine of last year. Since we've now seen more players all together, mostly Rondell Moore commanding more targets because they're just too good. So uh, Kyler Murray, I don't know if he's my QB one the rest of the season, but you don't have to worry about it in this matchup anyways. So I am worried about it. And I think it's because I'm an insane person because I'm going to, I'm going to like pre caveat this by saying that obviously Murray absolutely crushed in week one in Tennessee, 289 yards, four touchdowns ran for a touchdown as well. But he still has averaged 4.6 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in his career. Maybe a little bit surprising to hear for a quarterback that runs the ball as much as he does. But again, he plays at home in a dome in a very favorable environment. So to me, I am worried about that. This isn't the like West coast East 
you know, West Coast team flying East deal as much as just that, like, this team has just been so much more effective in the dome. And even though the weather looks pretty good in Jacksonville, that's something that's still stuck to the back of my mind. And it's something that's going to prevent me from, at least until I see more of this, from playing Murray and Inavia's road starts. Kind of one more point on this, and I think this may have been a little bit matchup related as well, but uh, Murray did say in the preseason that he wanted to run the ball less this season. His carry share is down from 27.8% last year to 18.9% so far this season. So about a 50%, that's not the right math, but whatever. It's a, it's a major reduction. Right. Or, it, does that concern you at all with Murray? Uh you think when push comes to shove and they're actually in a competitive game that maybe he'd run more. And also because yeah. we've seen James Conner try to run inside the 20, like they're not going to score that way. So I think he, I think he may increase that number. I'm not worried just yet. It is good to see though, that historically has, he really wasn't providing much fantasy production with his arm. Hence why he struggled. He dipped from 27 fantasy points per game through week 11 last year to 18 over the final stretch of the season, because that banged up shoulder had limited him. And he was only depending on his, legs but he wasn't running either because he got scared because of the injured shoulder and so uh just the fact he's providing now fantasy points with his arms that's what that's what we're looking at that's why i'm still very encouraged about you know his top two top three kind of what we expected anyhow honestly i think he may end up being the number one quarterback for the year but also somebody that you don't want to start at his high salaries on the road but something to keep an eye on over the rest of the weeks maybe the next few at least well that, Um, that that's why actually Trevor Lawrence is my favorite DFS play in this game because so far through two games, the Cardinals have faced run heavy offenses, the second highest run play rate neutral game script between the Titans and the Vikings. Whereas the Jaguars have thrown the ball at a league high rate in neutral game scripts. And more importantly, they've thrown the ball 75% rate whenever they're trailing. And you expect them to trail in this game. Uh, You would like to see a higher rushing floor than just three carries through two games for Lawrence. But the fact he's averaged 42 attempts in these commanding losses uh, at least tells you the passing volume is going to be there. And genuinely, when you watch the Jaguars, you don't even need to quantify this. The only way they move the ball is literally coin flip throws to Marvin Jones and DJ Shark. That's the only time they've had any amount of success whatsoever. And so you can easily double stack all these players, those three for very cheap. And then you run it back with a chalk piece like Rondell Moore, or if DeAndre Hopkins plays him. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And and weirdly, I actually ended up with the Jaguar as my DFS value play here too, is James Robinson at 5,500 and FanDuel. Um, I don't really know what to make of the Cardinals defense, honestly. Like, you know, they were awesome in week one, but in week two, they gave up 22 for 131 to Dalvin Cook and allowed 33 points to the Vikings in Arizona. I mean, clearly the Vikings have a better offense than than the Jags do, but Robinson has had a top 20 carry share and target share so far this season, and his salary is 36th highest among running backs. To me, that's not quite an equilibrium. And they were were awesome in week one, mostly because Chandler Jones took – Taylor Luan's soul. Like, that's it. Other than that, like the secondary and the rest of the front seven, even though we know they have an athletic and frightening front seven, but like we need, we genuinely just need to see them in a competitive game. And given the travel now, maybe this is the one. Yeah. So next up, we're moving to the 4 p.m. slate. We got the Jets at Broncos. Oh, we got a matchup between uh, running backs from my alma mater, Juwan, uh, Juwan Williams and Michael Carter. My major storyline question here is about Michael Carter, who I'm wondering if you think he started to assert himself in the Jets running back committee, increasing from in week one, just a 25% snap share to 45% last week, also increasing his carry share and target share, 
close to doubling the target share. Like, do you think he's kind of breaking out of the timeshare at all? Yeah, he handled just five touches in week one and then increased to a team high 13, 43% of the team's backfield touches in week two. The only concern is that uh, Robert Sala came out and just said they rode the hot hand, hence why Tevin okay. Coleman, yeah, only had nine snaps because he said Carter and Ty Johnson were running better. The thing is, given how poor this offensive line has played, they are second and pressure rate allowed, uh, yeah. 53% only behind the Dolphins, which have been oh just so bad. Um, <laughs> like you have to use younger athletes like Ty Johnson and Michael Carter because you can't really depend on Tevin Coleman in this role like this line cannot create holes and so you have to get creative with your players and so that's why I would like to still bet on Michael Carter and Ty Johnson to a lesser extent but overall like I'm not at a point where I can use them in fantasy lineups or DFS Mm -hmm. just yet. I think that's fair. I pointed out that Michael Carter, I think, is underpriced at 4,900 in FanDuel, Mm -hmm. but I'm not jumping to use him. That would sort of be like a, well, I only have $4,900 left in my lineup. Who can I fit in there? Like maybe in that type of situation. Um, But to me, it's not just the fact that he's a younger and probably more explosive athlete. It's the rushing and receiving versatility that I think could play a role here where, where game script could really be a relevant factor here on which of these Jets guys are on the field. Maybe not just like the hot hand mentality, but Carter's a tremendous pass catcher. And if you're expecting the Jets to be down more often than not, probably definitely down on the road against Denver this week, who's looked very good on both sides of the ball so far this season. Maybe that's a more natural fit for Carter as sort of a pass catcher, a guy that can run some routes out of the backfield. Like that would be my thing. Maybe in FanDuel, he's not going to be running for more than 50 yards, but like what if he adds like five catches for, for 45 in the air too? Like maybe that's the path to a little bit of fantasy utility this week. It's a possibility, right? Absolutely. It is definitely a possibility. The only issue is that this is a bad spot in altitude on the road Mm -hmm. against a Broncos defense that is thriving. And there's really no reason to think it's a fluke, although their matchups have been soft thus far. Um, At least there's no reason to think the fluke is on the defensive side of the ball. Now, Teddy Bridgewater leading the league and passes 20 plus yards downfield. Maybe a fluke, but also six and a half per game. Pretty good average for a team that got is very aggressive. And yeah. so uh, that's what I'll be looking for here, really. Because Cortland Sutland, after having not just a 2021 high in air yards, 251 last week against Jacksonville's man-to-man scheme. They knew they were going to be man up the entire time. Hence why Bridgewater threw deep. Also, those 251 air yards were a 2020 high of any player last year, too. And so I just wonder if it's an anomaly or is Sutton really back to his vintage form as a strong wide receiver two in fantasy yeah i'm definitely intrigued to see what he does this week for sure um okay next up miami dolphins at las vegas raiders at 405 in the dome in las vegas john is your is your true talent ranking of Derek carr improved after two weeks he's obviously performed very well um but also too does the dolphins matchup move the needle for him either way it does well Yes, it does in a way, just because like the number one play in this entire game is going to be the Raiders defense. Uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett comes off the bench. The issue is he still holds the ball far too long, nearly a Carson Wentz, like three seconds per snap. <laughs> Hence why the Dolphins, who have no pass protection anyways, uh, they always allow sacks to this player who just holds the ball. Also 4.2 yards per attempt off the bench. So it's not a player we're scared of, anyone's scared of in DFS at all. But Derek Carr, the thing is, it does go back and I don't, like to overreact to the Raiders because we do this every year and we always end up seeing like because they're just a top heavy built roster like Gruden and Mayock have no idea how to add depth through their team <laughs> and so when one player crumbles like the Matt Patricia Lions like the uh like the Cowboys now when one player crumbles it all falls apart because they don't know how to add depth and so 
This, but it, for this year, it goes back six games for Derek Carr because he had, does have over 300 yards in his last six games, a QB one top 12 finish in all six of those games mm-hmm. as well that he's been healthy for. And so that's what we're really monitoring. I don't think the Dolphins defense scares me too much, so much as the pace of play in this one. So I wouldn't say I'm on Derek okay. Carr, but sense. definitely like if he finished as a low end fringe QB one, I could, I could see that. Yeah. And so what you mentioned with Carr's recent hot play. It has raised his true talent projection in my mind from 20th at the position to 16th. So that kind of puts him right in that middle range where the yeah, that's about right. could swing him one way or the other. I mean, we always talk about how he and Kirk Cousins are basically the league average quarterbacks. And that's kind of where he ends up from a fantasy perspective from week to week. Now, I will say that the Dolphins, they're interesting. Like we think of them as a really good defense from last season, but from a fantasy perspective, not quite as scary because their major trait, for lack of a better word, was they increased interception rate by 26%, which is really good. But they were pretty neutral in giving up passing yardage and touchdowns per attempt. So I think that while maybe Carr's a little bit more likely to turn the ball over, that's not too much of a dock from his fantasy point perspective. Meanwhile, Carr has averaged 2.3 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in recent seasons. And you expect, if anything, that's only going to probably increase now that he's in the, in the Dome in Las Vegas. So to me, like when you weigh those two against each other, it comes out as a net positive matchup this week. And so I would be more likely to start Carr. Like he's kind of a, a high-end QB2 from my perspective, but I think startable in the right contexts. Right. I, uh, I actually agree completely with that assessment. Perfect. Okay. For my DFS play, I'm looking at Kenyon Drake. I I suggested him last week. I thought he was going to get a bigger run of the carries here, but that didn't happen with Josh Jacobs out. He had seven carries and and Peyton Barber came in for 13. uh, So didn't love that, but Josh Jacobs is likely to miss week three again. Um, And the fact that Drake has a 12% target share this season is tied for 16th among running backs. I think it just may be the case that the the receiving work is going to buoy his value. And the fact that he's, again, moving on to face a Dolphins team, not as fearsome from a run-stopping perspective as Baltimore and in particular Pittsburgh, uh, I think that may be uh, pushing the needle forward where you can use Drake in in your DFS lineups. You would hope so. Uh, But Gruden Gruden did say he was going to give Barber opportunities without Jacob. And I mean, just the fact, like you mentioned, 13 carries is a whole lot. And so... Uh, I question Gruden giving the more talented player more touches. And so I, I think Drake is going to stay in his role, which is a high floor safe role. But also I do wonder, especially in a game that we expect to be positive game script throughout for the Raiders, that Drake commands touches over Barber. It seems like more of a Barber game. So I actually just lean the Raiders defense as my favorite play here. Okay. But you can Absolutely use Drake fair. and Raiders defense together. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good thought. Good thought coming in late, maybe throwing him some, some passes late. Yeah. That would be nice. All right, here's the marquee game of the real NFL world this weekend. The Tampa Bay Bucks at the Los Angeles Rams, 425 in the Dome in Los Angeles. Curious if you feel like that's the case from from a fantasy perspective, though. Uh, But my major storyline is how many touchdowns do you think Tom Brady's going to throw this year? He's already got nine in two weeks. Uh, he's clearly going to try to set every record imaginable. <laughs> yes. And and then who knows when he retires. He's going to play to 62, and no one can suggest otherwise right now. Uh, I will say, though, an amazing game because the Bucks have averaged 35 points in their last 10 games mm-hmm. since they returned from their Week 13 bye, which is when they really began clicking and becoming that championship team we know. Yeah. Uh, also, this year, a combined 66.5 points through Week 2 as their defense, for whatever reason, has struggled out the gates. Tom Brady in his last 10 contests, 36 attempts 305 yards 64 percent completion rate and three tds per average while the bucks have actually 
The Bucks have actually passed at the league's highest rate with a lead this year, and they've had a lead a lot. Uh, they just don't care about the backfield whatsoever. And by the way, why should you whenever Brady and the offense is clicking yeah. like this? So whether Antonio Brown plays or not, I think it's a moot point. I just think the Bucks, we know who they're going to go to. It is Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, AB if he's there, and then Gronk, who is also top six in routes run among tight ends right now, has become an every down player essentially. Yeah. And there's no reason to think he doesn't finish as a top three tight end. He's only five five months older than Travis Kelsey with a year off of football to heal. And mm-hmm. so like, he's actually playing the best he's played his entire career right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be dramatically wrong about Gronk, maybe more so than any other player. Oh, me as well. Yeah. So that's good. Um, but I will say it's kind of a seminal moment here for me where I'm actually projecting Brady to have more passing touchdowns over the rest of the season. So not even considering the nine touchdowns mm. than any other quarterback. So I'm projecting 34 for him going forward. 33 for Mahomes, 31 for Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert, and 30 for Russell Wilson. So, like, it's kind of everything that you're talking about. It's the fact that their offense really has clicked since the beginning of the second half of last year. I believe the Bucs were number one in weighted passing offense, um, DVOA. They've looked great this season. All the work has shifted more toward the pass than the run, and I think the skill talent would kind of justify that. And even though, obviously, the nine actual touchdowns is a pretty inflated number, Brady is also leading on quarterbacks with 5.7 expected passing touchdowns. Uh, So, I mean, I think all signs point to extreme positivity for this passing attack. And you love that. It may not be great this week relative to usual, but Brady's up to my, my number four true talent quarterback from a fantasy perspective. So it's like, yeah, I mean, no brainer start every week from any kind of traditional format. I, I will say the one interesting aspect about this game is that when they played last year, and now Brandon Staley was a defensive coordinator. This is also why I have concerns about the Rams defense this year because Staley was intelligently using Jalen Ramsey like a chess piece. He yep. knew where to put his best players since the rest of their depth was really lacking. And so we haven't seen the Rams defense be tested just yet, even though they have struggled on the ground. So I wonder what's going to happen in this game. But Brady did struggle in this game last year for 215 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. So that's my one thing. I don't know what's going to happen, as well as the fact that the Rams didn't even try to run the ball in this game last year. McFay said, screw that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to run into Vita Vey. He's just going to swallow our running backs every yeah. time. And so I'm just going to give the, the ball to Goff for 51 pass attempts. That game was never outside a seven-point margin. It was one score throughout, and McFay still called 51 pass attempts with Jared Goff. And so like, I think maybe we just see – Cup, Robert Woods, and Ben Jefferson, to a lesser extent, just go crazy and see what they can do through the air. You're absolutely reading my mind here. So we didn't even mention the fact that Daryl Henderson, I would I would call very questionable with a rib injury. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, hasn't been ruled out while we're recording this, but I think chances are he won't be playing. You'll have just Sony Michelle as an experienced option in that backfield. But I don't even know if it matters. I mean, the Bucks had the number one DVOA run defense last season, and they de- they decreased their opponents' run plays by 35%, the most in football, and to counterbalance, they increase pass plays by 5%, also the most. I mean, I just totally expect what you're saying, where like basically Cooper Cup is going to serve as the Rams, you know, proxy run game. And so I think he's a great value at 6,800 in DraftKings, even though you think of the Bucks as being a good defense overall, the fact that they're better against the run than the pass, I think could skew the workload even more towards Cup, Cup, who has already looked like a top five fantasy receiver anyway. So like, I'm definitely feeling this. I think Cup's got a great opportunity for a lot of points this week. I will say if you roster cup 
just make sure you go intelligently contrarian elsewhere because he is checking in right now. I'm looking at, for instance, established runs, projected DFS ownership, mm-hmm. and Cup is the highest roster player, not surprisingly so. Yeah. So I uh, just sense. be careful what you do. Uh, double stack Stafford with Van Jefferson as well, who is honestly like one of my entire my favorite plays. Jefferson fresh off a career high and snap rate, plus ran around on every single one of Matthew Stafford's dropbacks. Now in a game where we know the Rams are going to and have to throw. And so he's he's pretty much like my sneakiest, not even that sneaky, but my favorite low-priced option on the entire slate. Nice. All right, a couple more games to hit. Seahawks at Vikings. This is the last 425 game. It's in the Dome in Minnesota. And John, would you say that a road game in Minnesota is the best possible matchup for fantasy wide receivers? Or is that just my own opinion? Well, you would like to think that the Vikings defense, after adding all these veterans, Patrick Peters included, in their secondary were better. But so far, it's just two games. Uh, I mean, it's the same. It's the same. Just team, just new names this yep. year. Uh, still struggling immensely in their secondary. And what we've seen from Seattle's offense right now, the issue is that they're too good. Uh, they've run 54 plays in both of their games so far, but have averaged over seven yards per play in each, which allows the other offense to get on the field more. Hence why the Titans had no issues coming back within two scores down in the fourth quarter and still winning that game because the Seattle's defense right now, anyways, still cannot be on the field for an immense amount of time. They're just going to get beat. And so that's why I think, uh, Carroll's probably going to try to temper the offense long-term outlook because right now, like this, it just has to slow down and run the ball more to make sure their defense isn't in charge of winning games. Yeah. So, I mean, adding a little bit more color to what you said about the, the Vikings secondary Peterson was, he allowed 98 yards and two touchdowns mm-hmm. on, four, on four Kyler Murray targets last week. One of them was like a weird Murray play where he avoided pressure and was able to find Rondale Moore kind of wide open, but it's not like Peterson's lighting up the world, looking like his prime self. Obviously, the, the Vikings lost last year's round one draft pick, Jeff Gladney, uh, who the team cut after some off-field issues. So it's just like the things that they were trying to do to, to stop the, the bleeding from last year just haven't seemed to work so far. And so there's a lot of factors kind of pointing me to the fact that guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are really valuable this week. They're playing in the Dome. And that's a big boost for both number one and slot receivers. Uh, the Vikings themselves have trended that way. Yes, the Seahawks may be able to run the ball more this week, but I also feel like that that Cousins and the Vikings are going to be able to score on them too. So maybe a little bit of what you saw with the Vikings and Cardinals last week where it could be a bit of a shootout. That's why I'm optimistic. That's also why I think Tyler Lockett's a pretty nice play in DraftKings at 7,400. Uh, but I actually have both Lockett and Metcalf as top five wide receivers this week. Am I, am I getting a little bit too carried away there? I don't think so at all. Uh, This game probably does feed to both offenses needing to shoot out, like you said, even on the Viking side of the ball. Just the fact that even if Dalvin Cook is available, DMP Wednesday through Friday, then they will probably still try to lighten his load. If Dalvin Cook is not there, they'll probably have to throw more, even with Alexander Madison in the backfield. Mm -hmm. Last year, this team ran the lowest rate of 11 personnel in the league, whereas not only has it increased 15% this year, but they... 88% of their passing plays have come in three wide sets. That's why you're seeing KJ Osborne on the field, leading the team in receiving yards because he's pretty much always on the field Mm because they need that without Irv Smith. And so now without a strong running back as well, it probably does lean into Kirk Cousins more, who, by the way, scored through a touchdown on three of their first four possessions. I had him double stacked last week, thought I was going to be looking great. (laughs) And then, of course, the second half, both offenses stalled. But Kirk Cousins, as always, an underrated play every single week. Absolutely. All right, let's head to the Sunday night game. Green Bay Packers at San Francisco 49ers. Pretty good weather for San Francisco, 72 degrees and clear. Major storyline for me is 
help me make sense of this 49ers backfield situation, both this week and for the rest of the season. Obviously, you had Raheem Mostert get hurt four plays into week one. But then last week, there's just more running backs going down. Elijah Mitchell injured his shoulder, isn't practicing so far this week. But Kyle Shanahan, last I saw, optimistic he can play. Trey Sermon, he suffered a concussion last week, but has had some limited practices. My guess is he's more, he's more likely to play than Mitchell, but I don't know. Then Jermichael Hasty, I think, is going to miss multiple weeks with a high ankle sprain. So what is going on here? So we know that Elijah Mitchell had 100% of the team's carries and Trey Sermon did not play a single snap in the first half last week. Yes. Then they come out, Elijah Mitchell gets injured. He's still in the second half playing over, well over Sermon, our waiver hero with 19 touches in that game, actually. Yeah. Sermon gets one touch, concussion, fumbles, out of the game. So really it just comes down to if Mitchell is healthy, if Mitchell's available, I imagine he leads the team in touches. If he's not, I imagine Sermon, if active, leads the team in touches. Either way, behind them is going to be Trenton Cannon for special teams. Trenton Cannon will not be used. They didn't use him last week, even though they had just two running backs available the entire game. Yeah. And then it'll be Jock, S Jock Patrick, the former XFL 6'2", 246-pound goal line bruiser guy, yeah. which is a weird player to have in this offense. I don't know why. Even in trying out TJ Yeldon, they were looking for a specific role. So I wonder if he's just going to be like an inside-the-five goal line guy because there's no way they can give him – I mean, he was cut from the Bengals before the preseason was over. Like, he can't play in this offense as a 20-touch guy. And so he's not really someone I'm looking to. Also, on Johnson and Chris Thompson on the practice squad. on Johnson's a guy who's reportedly could be called up if Elijah Mitchell can't go. And remember, their call-ups have to happen by Saturday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern. So it's something we're watching. So overall, I think it's Mitchell Sermon, uh, and then Patrick most likely would carry on in that order, but we just literally have to wait and see an active list Sunday afternoon. What you were saying about Patrick to me is really interesting. I guess I just haven't quite figured out Kyle Shanahan the way that I thought I had, because mm -hmm. to me, like Raheem Mostert, again, was the fastest running back in the league, 4.32 second 40 time. Eli Mitchell comes in with also a 4.32 second 40 time, which is why like it made a little bit of sense to me that he ended up being the guy that replaced Mostert when he went down, but like Suddenly you have Trey Sermon. He takes him two draft, two draft rounds ahead of, of Mitchell, despite him being a bigger, more powerful, slower back. You bring in Patrick, kind of even a more extreme version of that. Maybe Shanahan doesn't have a type the way that I thought he did, or, or maybe he thinks he can just plug holes using some of his receivers like Debo Samuel that might as well be running backs because they do all their work after the catch. I don't know. I'm confused by the situation, but I guess my thought with you is that if Eli Mitchell plays, I'm going to trust him. Uh, he's, he's been pretty effective so far this season. He's had a pretty high 54.4% carry share so far this season, despite being, you know, in and out of the lineup at both games a little bit. And so like, I guess I'm listing him as a decent DFS option at 5,600 and FanDuel. Um, but I don't know. I'm a little bit scared and I might, I might wait another week to see if these guys can, can be healthy and kind of sort this thing out for me. And that's just DFS, right? Uh, we are yeah. trying to be proactive, not reactive. And so that's why if Mitchell's available, I'm going to roster him a hundred percent. Okay. I like to hear that. That gives me a little bit more confidence. <laughs> uh, okay. The, well, the obvious play is Debo Samuel though. 36% target share has led the 49ers in targets in both weeks so far against, like we mentioned earlier in a, abysmal Packers defense that actually ran eight fewer plays than the Lions on Monday night, but was still outgained in total yardage. So we are all over the 49ers pass catching options. We are also, this is a bit 
this is a bit wilder. You have to bear with me here, mm. but we are absolutely on Trey Lance watch because the fact mm. the Niners were so poor against the Eagles defense, uh, 24 first half rushing yards, didn't have a first down in the first quarter whatsoever. If Garoppolo struggles in this matchup, and it's very possible he does, they have no choice but to bring Lance in to move the ball because Kyle Shanahan had to go to the halftime and like make life easier for Garoppolo in the second half of last week's game against the Eagles. If that happens again against a bad defense, it's probably going to start, especially if they lose. And I actually, I kind of like the Packers money line here a lot. It's just a very good spot for them on Sunday night. It's really, especially against, we know the 49ers defense with Jason Verrett. They're now starting Josh Norman and and others that we are not concerned about. Um, It's going to be a a very bad time if they don't win this game and don't move the ball. So I actually have, have added Trey Lance ahead of time in most of my redraft leagues before this week. I actually totally buy that. It, like, not even about the matchup, but not even about the fact that they don't have running backs. Like, if they're gonna throw for the lowest average depth of target with their quarterback, like, why why not have it be like the rookie that can run a little bit too? Right. right? Like, it's not like Lance is gonna cause problems throwing you know two yard outs and throwing you know dump off passes in the backfield. He can do that fine, no matter what he's reading. So, like, I could see that transition happening as well. Um, with Debo Samuel, though, question like. So Jair Alexander is one of the more talented cover corners in the league, but like Samuel is an unusual type of receiver. Is is that like a matchup that you would specifically be worried about or are the 49ers too different to worry about the opponent that way? I think the 49ers are too different, just given how shallow Debo Samuel's ADOT is, the way they use them both in screens and just sp- uh, flashing across the field within five yards of the line of scrimmage. So I don't really worry about cornerback matchups yeah. for any of these wide receivers. We more worry about Ayuk just showing us he's alive more than anything. <laughs> Fingers crossed for sure. Yeah. All right. One last game, the Monday night game, Eagles at Cowboys in the Dome in Dallas. Uh, John, major storyline. Can Tony Pollard become fantasy relevant, even though Ezekiel Elliott is currently healthy? Obviously, he's been very productive so far this season, but very low 24% and 34% offensive snap shares to me suggest Maybe nothing has really changed. Dak Prescott does not throw his fewest pass attempts in a full game since week 15 of the 2019 season yeah. if there weren't concerted weekly, weekly game plans being mm-hmm. instituted for this organization for what I truly believe is the first time since the Bill Parcells era. <laughs> and so like, that's why Prescott threw 58 times in week one against the terrifying Bucks front seven and only 27 times compared to 31 total carries against the Chargers shutdown secondary in week two. And because of that, to answer your question, is why I believe Tony Pollard's outlook is being slightly overblown. Since yeah. Ezekiel Elliott still leads the entire league at his position and routes run and is still averaging 16 touches per game still the guy they trust more between the tackles and so it's exciting what they're doing in Pollard but knowing this organization very closely like I came up in the Dallas media early on uh, I've watched you know every game the past 25 years I know they're a bad organization and so like this the way they're they just it's not a team that's going to worry about how much better because he is but they don't care about how much better Tony Pollard is and Zico Elliott and we see the usage for Zeke so we're not freaking out just yet um and there are teams for me, for instance, where I have zero RB and like Tony Pollard is my RB one or RB two. And at least I have confidence now. He's not getting me a dud since he only averaged seven and a half touches per game in 15 games with Zeke last year. Mm-hmm. But I think like his overall outlook as an RB one or two, that's what's being severely overblown right now. Yeah. I, I'm with you on all of those points. The one thing that I might push back on a little bit is that I'm not sure that, that he's clearly better than Ezekiel Elliott. To me, they're just different types of players. Uh, Derek Klassen, our, our film scout at Football Outsiders, dug into this in a really interesting way this week. So fantasy write, uh, readers should check this out. But talking about 
like how Elliott makes more sense as a runner between the tackles and it's a great pass protector and everything where he's bringing things to the table that make him more valuable than maybe the fantasy splits might otherwise suggest. Uh, so with you from the general takeaway though, yeah. um, my DFS guy this week is Devonte Smith of the Eagles, 5,700 and FanDuel, $900 underpriced. Yes, he has a top 20, 26.3% target share among wide receivers, and yet his salary is 41st among wide receivers. That makes no sense to me on the road in the Dome in Dallas. I feel like that's a really good spot for him, and I would happily use him this week. What are your thoughts? Uh, CeeDee Lamb has played all but three snaps ever since Michael Gallup went down in week one. He's just mm-hmm. been glued to the field. So yeah. we're going right back to the well. It's it's not hate that at all. Yeah, not a contrarian play. It's literally just, hey, play CeeDee Lamb. Also, <laughs> be on the lookout. I would pick up on your redraft rosters, Jalen Rager or Cedric Wilson, since you'll probably need a pivot if taking Amari Cooper status down to inactives on Monday night. Mm-hmm. So just be ready to go just in case Cooper cannot play. Tremendous advice. John, I think you've had great insights all show. I'd love to have you on. Tell all of our listeners where they can read and listen to you and everything else going on with you. NBCSportsEdge.com, especially if you're in the redraft streets, you can go get our guide on the homepage. Use the promo code Daigle10 because that shows the bosses that you're listening and uh, you're using my code to get our tiers, our weekly rankings, everything else. Also, please subscribe to a good football show where you'll hear more takes like this. Sometimes we'll guess five episodes per week, including a Saturday morning DFS show as well that includes more game theory like I was talking about um not really the game by game review which was good for this show because that means I got to get mm-hmm. everything off my chest for every game but yeah it's usually more, helpful more game theory involved so yeah just subscribe there on iTunes Spotify wherever you get your podcast everybody do it John's tremendous John will hope to have you back on uh, in, in short order after a great episode uh, for anyone looking to listen to more football outsider stuff again we are Monday through Friday 1 p.m eastern time on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders Aaron Schatz and Ian O'Connor of Edge Sports will do a game review next on Monday. You'll hear me again with our film scout, Derek Klassen, for Tuesday for a waiver wire episode. So check that out. And after the fact, listen to us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network and on YouTube. 